CIM Podcasts. The contents and views expressed by individuals in this podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. Okay, I'm joined today by Ali Lee Boone from CIM and Nikki Mullen, who has changed her habits in the era of fast fashion. We'll be hearing more about that later. So Forever 21 have got themselves into hot water. Um, they tried to recruit the singer Ariana Grande as their muse. It didn't really work out, did it, Ellie? No, absolutely not. They asked Ariana Grande if she wanted to partner with them on a on a whole campaign, on a series of looks. She said no, and then they proceeded to use a lookalike model to kind of steal her image and get the same effect without that full partnership in play. And they they'd gone out and found a model who looked was a doppelganger, um, and simply stole her look and tried to do run exactly the same campaign, but without the real Ariana. Which is obviously problematic for a number of reasons. I think there are people probably listening to this podcast that don't understand why her image is so valuable. But to her, it is everything. She is a massively powerful, influential person, not just kind of generally, but very specifically to Forever 21's audience. And she was there to try and save Forever 21 from the from the chasm of doom. And uh, this doppelganger uh, has hit them with a double whammy. Not only have they slid into said chasm, um, but they're now facing a lawsuit from Ariana. Yeah, absolutely. They have filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy this week as well. So they are facing a number of issues on this count. But I don't think it's surprising that they wanted to collaborate. I mean, collaborations are key. We've seen this not only from fast fashion retailers like Misguided and Boohoo, who kind of live on partnerships with celebrities of varying calibre, but on the high street as well. So we've seen H&M recently partner with Richard Allen, who is an incredible 60s scarf designer, and they have a long history of kind of very high fashion partnerships with David Beckham, um, with a kind of a range of really influential celebrities. And we've seen this also from Next, who've partnered with Emma Willis and M&S with Holly Willoughby as well. So it's not surprising that they could see the opportunity in the collaboration, but obviously it was very poorly executed. They filed for bankruptcy while a lot of their competitors are doing very well, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. They'd presumably hoped that Ariana's signing would give them a bit of a rocket boost. Uh, they didn't get her. They tried to do it via other means by using this uh, look-alike. It's not worked. They're in a bit of trouble. There are varying reasons as to why this has happened that has been speculated. Um, they didn't anticipate, supposedly, the rise of e-tail, so ASOS, Fashion Nova, but then also the fast fashion retailers like misguided boohoo. They're a bricks and mortar company in, in the States. They really? are, they yeah. are. So they yeah. have stores all over the world and yeah. they cited that as one of the reasons why this has now happened because they grew very quickly. They continued to invest in bricks and mortar and they grew, uh, they had stores all over the world um, and still do, though obviously that will now change. Um, but it's interesting because if you dig a bit deeper into their marketing budget, so not only has it massively decreased over the last couple of years, in the last year that they've published, um, their marketing budget went almost entirely on digital spend, even though they are at their heart a bricks and mortar company. So you can see them trying to kind of reconcile this e-tail disruption with being that traditional high street retailer. And there have been some kind of discussions about why this has happened. But I think what's interesting is that they have said this even in discussions about why they went bankrupt, that they are at their heart a fast fashion retailer. They, along with um, other retailers who are still growing, as we've mentioned, like Zara and H&M, were, were founded on the principles of fast fashion, of instant fashion, of having new clothes in the shop every week, of having this kind of 
pre-social media fear of missing out, that if you aren't in the shop on a week-by-week basis, you're not going to see the latest clothes, you're not going to be able to buy them, you're not going to be able to wear what everyone else is wearing. And so it's interesting that they have kind of fallen by the wayside, whereas other retailers in this space are growing. But I do think that them kind of still committing to this image of instant fashion is a problem. So before we get to the the problem of the instant fashion generally, um, th- there is a difference obviously between Forever 21 and the way that they've walked into trouble because they they were trying to sort of ride these two horses of being a, a, a high street retailer in the United States uh, and actually also being a sort of e-tailer and, and marketing digitally. The rest of the, the sector um, is almost following a much narrower model, which is um, uh, online only and absolutely plastering public spaces with very big and very expensive pieces of advertising, all of which are or aiming at exactly the same demographic, high glam, very young women, um, uh, aimed at people going out or, or, or you, you know, sort of party wear is perhaps an old fashioned phrase for it. Um, it seems to me that how can they all be making money? How can they all succeed when they're, they're fighting for what is exactly, you know, exactly the same bunch of people, bunch of customers? Well, largely because Boohoo owns most of the brands that you'll see advertised. So Boohoo as a group own Pretty Little Thing, they own Nasty Gal and they own Miss Pap. So they have a massive kind of slice of this e-tail pie, as it were. And they have said that these acquisitions were based on getting total market share and dominance of e-tail, as it's known. Um, And that for them has been their focus. But also what's interesting is that even if they weren't under the same kind of group, and there are brands that are separate, so Misguided is an example um, of a brand that operates pretty much independently. So even if they weren't separate, these brands, they don't trade on price or on convenience because their prices are pretty much the same. They all offer next day delivery pretty much free of charge. What they trade on is relevance. So what they need to put forward is an image that is most relevant to the most amount of people. And that is absolutely what they try to do with these kind of massive spaces and also with influencers as well. Their marketing budgets are gigantic, aren't they? They, Boohoo, we've just seen, they've had a very good year, but we when we saw their results two or three weeks ago, it emerged that 9% of their entire turnover is spent on marketing. I mean, they are marketing-led businesses like nothing else, aren't they? Absolutely. So their marketing budget was £90 million. So, I mean, absolutely, it's massive. It will dominate. But they said as well that a significant portion of that marketing budget went on influencers, which I think is interesting. They invested in a music video, which is for their brand as a whole. So... Boohoo, but then also it's kind of subsidiaries as well. Um, And so what they really have been investing in is this image. And they have said that they're not worried about cannibalizing their other brands. They're not worried about talking to the same audience because ultimately, if you click on one of their sites, you are most likely interacting with Boohoo as the overall owner of that group. They've taken some interesting acquisitions recently, haven't they? They, They're just buying out or have bought out um, Karen Millen and Coast, which are two retailers which aren't really in the same space, are they? Couldn't be more opposed, really, could mm. they? But I think what is interesting, they said of this acquisition, that what they want to do is move away from just the teen market, which I think is probably a smart thing to do, because as much as everyone kind of wants to capture the millennial, the Gen Z, the kind of younger and younger audience, 
that's not necessarily the people that have the most money to spend, which right. I think is something that Boohoo probably knows. They've said of this acquisition that what they want to do is move away from that teen space. But also, what I think is interesting is that they really just want to buy the audience. The brands in right. themselves probably don't have that much value to them. But the audience who has shopped with them, who trusts that brand, do. And they are totally different to the audience that they have so far. So what I think they're trying to do is just grow their overall influence in the retail space generally. It's interesting. So they're, they're, they're trying to grab share Absolutely. from loyal Caramel and customers, loyal Coast customers. Is there a danger, do you think, that those customers will peel off when they feel that somehow they, they're the, the brands that they're used to are going to lose quality or they're going to be subsumed into this very fast, very quick, lower quality but high fashion model that fast fashion uh, retailers uh, have mastered? Well, it's going to be interesting, I think, to see if they do try and embed any of that model into Coast and Caramel or whether they will keep their brands as kind of separate entities and whether they'll want to create distance between them or whether they'll want to bring them all under kind of the one group and create a united front in that regard. But I do think that if they did keep the brand identities as they were, and obviously there is an amount of quality that is wrapped up in that brand identity, which you would have to realistically keep in order to keep that audience, then I think that they could be onto a winner, really, because there is, I think, the gap in the market for that high quality kind of range for that particular audience, that particular age. But what I think will be interesting to see is the that they have said they will not keep the stores open and they will take this only online. Mm. So whether that audience will follow them online, what kind of e-commerce mm. system they can provide, how that is going to differ. Because you go to a, a Boohoo, you go to a Pretty Little Thing website and you are bombarded with 20% off, sale, new season, new this, new that. I wonder how much they're going to adapt their offering from that to this potentially older, more sophisticated audience who will not respond to that. Where did this all come from? It began on the high street with one very big retailer completely disrupting everybody else. Primark. So what's the difference between Primark, which has been successful, and Forever 21 that hasn't been successful? Well, I think it's a lot about ideology and positioning. So Primark, whilst they have had their fair share of kind of negative press in regards to their supply chain and with regards to the environmental impacts of their general kind of retail model they are now focusing on that reassurance so a really interesting example is their new store in Birmingham they have opened this massive store the size of a department store in Birmingham near the Bullring um, on the high street an absolute prime spot and they have really focused not only on the in-store experience so this store has a Disney cafe it has a salon it has a selfie station in the fitting rooms um, so the in-store experience is fantastic for one thing but also they've really pushed this environmental element. So above the tills, they have signs that say people, planet, respect. They've obviously always had the paper bags, which is now something that they're really kind of publicising and saying this is something that we've had since the beginning. But also they have bought out a sustainable cotton denim line. They have free water fountains on all of the floors and they have recycling bins for the clothes to say, when you're done with this, we appreciate it's disposable, but bring it back to us and we will dispose of it. They're owning... The, the model, and they're trying to they're trying to sort of I'm hesitating to use the word it's not greenwashing as such, but they're trying to in some way mitigate their model by sort of taking ownership of it and saying bring these clothes back, we accept it's not going to last forever, 
once you're done with it, we'll recycle it. I don't think it would be unfair to call it greenwashing, to be honest, because ultimately their business model is not the most sustainable. And also I think there's a certain amount of ownership that needs to be taken by these brands. Primark isn't necessarily one of them, but for example, Zara, H&M, and I'd class Forever 21 in the same kind of bracket. They established these shopping habits, which are now having the massive environmental impact. They are the ones that produce clothes quickly, only have clothes in store for four weeks, so you have to go and you have to see the latest fashion. They're the ones that establish this need to shop constantly, to have more things rather than less. Mm. And so as much as you can put a recycling bin on a floor of a shop, ultimately that is not necessarily changing people's behaviour in terms of how many clothes they buy, what they do with clothes after they wear them, and what the kind of overall life cycle of that piece of clothing is, they have established this behaviour which they then need to take steps to address because that is the real problem here. You know, my grandmother used to have a saying, buy cheap, buy twice. It now seems to me buy cheap, wear once is the model for uh, the current fashion retailers. We've been doing some work separately with Professor Rita McGrath, who's a sort of megastar US academic, and she's been looking at what caused the disruption. It really is uh, buy cheap where once the need that is being satisfied is not for a, a woman a young woman if you like to to look great at a party it's for a woman to look great on a selfie and you know primark selfie bin is, is is an example you get a get a nice shot take a selfie perfect selfie run it through a filter chuck the clothes away Absolutely. And for Primark, you can see why they would do this. It's essentially free advertising with user-generated content, but it does then create that unsustainable behaviour, which is the real problem here. But I don't really think it's surprising. So you look at someone like Boohoo, they upload over 200 items of clothing to their site every single day. So I don't think it's surprising that people are constantly browsing for the latest fashion, that you buy one thing and you feel that instantly it's irrelevant and you don't need to wear it anymore. Hence, you only have it in one photo and then you likely dispose of it. So I don't really think it's surprising that those patterns of behaviour have been established. It's about how then you address that and how you move away from it. Well, it isn't all women, is it? We've got joined here by Nikki Bruno, who's a very fashion-conscious shopper. And Nikki, you've rejected the fast fashion model completely, haven't you? Yeah, um, I have. And it's something that I'm trying to be more kind of consciously aware of, you know, where, where I shop and, and which retailers I, I purchase clothes from. And I think I'm not the only one, you know, consumers now are demanding more from their retailers. Um, and, you know, the some of the the, the shops and retailers that we've, the e-tailers that we've talked about um, already are, are starting to get wise to this. Mm. Um, so now we're seeing things like, um, you know, the ASOS Eco Edit, Topshop selling vegan shoes, um, H&M Conscious One, um, which is, is really quite interesting. But these are the brands that established these negative patterns of behaviour which are now causing problems. And then if you see them bringing out an Eco Edit, a responsible line, that to me feels like a vanity measure that doesn't really impact the overall business model which has caused this problem. You might bring out one line, but what changes are you making to your supply chain? What changes are you making to your business model that is actually going to create a more sustainable method of shopping and more sustainable clothes on the shelves? The L'Oreal boss, L'Oreal, this is the cosmeteer L'Oreal, the biggest, um, one of the biggest cosmeteers in the world, the French cosmetics company, uh, their boss has been in a bit of hot water recently for for 
first of all saying that actually uh, women's insecurity about the perfect selfie is, is good for his business. Uh, he's also said recently that pollution is good for his business. What's that all about? Well, what they're saying is that as people are becoming more wise to pollution, they're seeing the effects obviously on the planet. People are internalising those effects and seeing them in terms of a cosmetic value as well. Hence the reason why so many cosmetic brands are bringing out anti-pollution ranges, anti-UV ranges, anti-blue light. I bought a moisturiser the other day that is SPF, blue light, UV, the whole lot. And so people are getting wise to pollution generally, but that ultimately for them creates more sales. So heads you win, tails you win for, <laughs> for, for these big companies. Absolutely. You know, heads you, heads you win on the fast fashion or the fast cosmetics, tails you win on the environmentally friendly alternative, which is also sold by them. Well, that's exactly what you're, I think you're seeing with these responsible lines, with the eco lines, because they're not having to make really big changes to their business models. All they're doing is bringing out one line that we say, okay, this is environmentally friendly, buy it, don't feel guilty about the environmental impact of it. But they're not actually making these big widespread changes, not only to their business model, but to consumer behaviour that we would really need to see this problem tackled at the source. There's still got to be a niche somewhere, though. If we're going to have fast fashion, everything's got an equal and opposite reaction. There's got to be a slow fashion. Nikki, have you tried any other shopping model that works for you other than buying into the mainstream retailers' so-called eco-ranges? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of people are going down this route in terms of, you know, retro fashion and rummaging through charity shops. I know that maybe, you know, five, ten years ago, that was... Uh, quite uncouth you know mm. and you'd be embarrassed if your mum you still have a stigma didn't it exactly if yeah. your mum had bought you a jumper and it was from the charity shop um but you know that you know times have re- times have really really changed i think you're seeing a resurgence towards uh the, the high street and the you know, hyper local makers and, and craftsmen and women creating more you know eco sustainable clothes and and, and selling them in their community. Um, one great platform, which I know some of my friends have been using, um, Girl Meets Dress, which is essentially uh, a dress agency, I suppose. You know, you can go on there and hire a dress for two nights. Um, and they've got all of the designer labels. And, and the idea is that you don't have to buy every single time. So if you've got that glitzy gala dinner um, or that wedding, historically, you might go to the shop and, you know, panic and think, oh my God, I've got to buy a really really expensive dress um, and then you, you'll never really get your money's worth. So platforms like Girl Meets Dress are encouraging people to maybe not buy and rent and share and borrow. Um, and I think that's a really great idea and, and I want to see more people um, consuming in, in this way. They've not been heavily marketed, those platforms yet, have they, Ali? Are they, they, that might be something that comes, do you think? I think so, because I think the demand is absolutely there. So I think the marketing kind of naturally follows to get the word out about these platforms. I think there is the increased demand. But what is also interesting as well, talking about charity shops, is that they're in a bit of a crisis at the moment, where 90% of the clothes that they are given back are from Primark, are from New Look, are from um, the lower end brands, and they can't resell them. They have absolutely no value anymore. I've I've seen this um, a lot more recently. You know, gone are the days where you might find that um, Burberry trench um, or a a decent pair of Levi jeans for 20 quid and think it was a, a great a great bargain you go in there now and you know it's a Primark t-shirt um or a H&M jumper and you know you didn't actually really want that first time round so why would you want it second time round <laughs> this environmental issue 
um, despite their attempts, their greenwashing attempts to mitigate it, it looks to me like something that can come back and bite them on the backside. Um, there have been examples, haven't there, recently? There have, yeah, absolutely. It seems to come back whenever they least expect it. So recently we've seen this from ASOS and Pretty Little Thing. ASOS ran a hashtag thanks it's ASOS campaign uh, a couple of months ago now. And um, just last week, Pretty Little Thing tried to get hashtag love Pretty Little Thing trending, which it did but probably not for the reasons they were hoping. So it was totally hijacked by people who were saying, what about the environmental impact of your business model? What about the fact that you are sending clothes to landfill? What about this massive waste and these unhealthy consumer spending habits that we're seeing? What about all of that? So that was a prime opportunity for them to get user-generated content that just massively backfired. And I think you've hit on a really important point there and talking about, um, you know, clothes going going to landfill and, and boohoo, um, putting on 200 new items of clothing uh, a day. I mean, those numbers are... are 200, are, it's just an astounding figure, isn't it? it? it it's scary. And in, in the UK alone, around 9,000 garments are dumped every five minutes. And, you know, textiles are becoming the country's fastest growing waste stream. Right. And then you've got to think about, you know, the not only the actual the, the, the actual cotton or the... the, the You've got to think about the, the dyes and the synthetics that are part of that garment as well, that once they hit the landfill, that that's just all, you know, polluting, polluting the, 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 the planet and running into our, our water streams. I think even if you leave the environmental concerns aside, the consumer is being hit by a triple whammy. The market for fashion is being flooded by fast fashion companies. The mitigation strategies that have been taken by these companies are really just a way to keep people inside their ecosystem. And the volume of good quality clothing for resale through vintage and charity shops has been massively reduced. So there's an opportunity for the local high street and local communities. I think more people are now wanting to buy local, locally sourced um, you know, food and, and also fashion. I think it, it goes across kind of both. Nikki. Ali, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Join us next time when we'll be joined by Catalyst editor Morag Cutterford-Jones where she'll be giving us her review of issue four. CIM Podcast.